so other Four Corners folks and several kids, and we watched Cars too. It's great sermon prep material. And uh, we, had, we had a really good time. If you ha- How many of you have seen this movie already, yeah? Good. We're going to talk about it a little bit. We're going to talk about God's Word a lot today, but I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to be kind of like Elizabeth Taylor to each of her eight husbands. I won't be keeping you long today, all right? So... Uh, <laughs> With that said, uh, this movie is about Lightning McQueen, and it's about Tow Mater. Now, Tow Mater is the tow truck, and he's kind of like the village idiot. And so he's always good for a laugh. And in the first movie, he was just messing up a lot. And in the second movie, it begins with him blowing it. I mean, he's kind of just, again, the village idiot. And so he makes all kinds of mistakes. But what happens in this movie is, without giving a lot away, is he gets kind of separated from the pack. He gets taken out of the group. And he begins to get on a path of discovery, of learning his own strengths and having some encounters that leave him changed. They really do. And by the end of the film, he kind of comes back, the different guy, he sees himself a little bit differently. He sees everybody else differently and he sees his place in the world a little differently. It's kind of an interesting film. It's been rated kind of low by the the critics, but... um, if you have a, a kid or so and you're not opposed to a little bit of violence, uh, it's, it's not so bad. Uh, all this stuff about kind of being in the group and getting out of the group and seeing yourself differently as a result of your experiences and what goes on and seeing everybody else a little differently, well, it got me thinking about a place in the Bible that's one of my favorite places to go. It's the Gospel of Mark in your Bible. If you go about halfway through and go slightly to the right, that's where you'll find it. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to go there. If you don't have one, the words will be behind me on the screen. In Mark chapter 8, there's a powerful story about Jesus that the first time I read it, in fact, almost every time, it causes me to kind of turn my head a little bit and go, hmm, now that doesn't happen very often in the pages of the Bible when you read about Jesus. It's the story of Jesus and a blind man. And it happens in a city called Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Bethsaida is one of the three cities, just give you a little background, in the Bible that Jesus curses. Now, that's not a good thing. I mean, a curse back then and a curse today is kind of a bad thing. There were three cities that Jesus described this way. He said to them, basically, because you guys have had all kinds of cool things happening in and around you, but you haven't received the message of God's love and grace. You haven't accepted the truth that's been presented. Because of that, you're living under a curse. Bethsaida is one of those places. It also was the town of Andrew and Peter, a couple of the disciples. So it's kind of a major player. It's not that far from where Jesus grew up in a little area called Capernaum. And uh, it has a lot of biblical events happening around it. Well, when Jesus became an adult, he goes back to that general area. And while he's there on a particular visit, some people bring a blind man to him and they beg Jesus to touch the blind man. They want Jesus to heal the blind man. Now, Jesus was known as a guy who did powerful miracles. Jesus was known as a guy who did amazing teaching, the kind of teaching that would stir your heart and leave you changed. Jesus was known as the kind of guy who would talk to God like God was right in the room with him. I mean, it was the craziest thing in the world. Like he really believed God was hearing him. And unlike the people of the day, Jesus didn't just pray prayers that were written several hundred years ago. He certainly did that. He also prayed prayers that he made up on the spot about things that were going on in his life right then. Again, kind of that personal connection to God. And the weirdest thing about Jesus was he regularly said to people that if you see God, like if you see me, you've seen God. If you hear me talk, you hear God talk. But the strangest thing Jesus did, the thing that really upset a lot of people and caused them to wonder what he was like, he would look at people and he would say this phrase to them, your sins are forgiven. And everybody in the culture knew that only one person in the universe, only one person that created the universe was able to do that, and that was God himself. And by those few kinds of activities, the powerful teaching, 
the miracles, the familiarity with God, talking as if he was God and doing the acts that only God can do. Jesus was declaring that he himself was God. And when people would interact with him, they would be changed. But that unnerved a lot of people. It really did. So when he came to Bethsaida, a place that hadn't received his message, a place that had seen all kinds of powerful things happen, but they hadn't really embraced it in whole heart, they bring a blind man to him and they said, well, Jesus, will you touch him? So here it is in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Here's what it says on the screen behind me. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him. Jesus asked him, do you see anything? Verse 28, or 24 rather. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now, over the next few minutes, we're going to kind of walk back through those verses. So guys, if you'll back up to the first part of that again, we'll kind of go through those a little more slowly. But I wanted you to kind of see the whole story. Because I think inside these very few verses, what you're going to find is some powerful truth. The truth that kind of overlaps some of the stuff that I saw in Cars 2 about a guy who, well, he doesn't always get it right. He needs multiple interactions to begin to see a little more clearly. He needs some repeated connection to see differently. When Jesus came to Bethsaida and they brought the blind man to him, there's no deep spiritual thought in this. The blind man couldn't find Jesus on his own. He didn't have any vision. He needed people to help him get to where Jesus was. They took him by the hand and then they begged Jesus to touch him. I don't know about you, but I wonder if there's ever been anybody in the room maybe related to something spiritually or relationally or financially. You were in a situation and you couldn't get out of it by yourself. Maybe you couldn't even see what getting out of it looked like. Maybe you were stuck in a relationship or stuck in a, in a job and you couldn't even imagine what it might look like to be in a different place. But you had somebody come alongside you and help you find, help you see, help you discover a way out of that thing. Uh, that's what Jill and I try to do with our kids sometimes. We know that God's given us wisdom and insight. We're not always the brightest parents in the world, but compared to our kids, we have a little bit of wisdom, a little life learning. And sometimes we can see things that they can't see. And so our goal sometimes is to come alongside them and help them see what they're unable to see on their own, to guide them by the hand where they need to go. Does that make sense to you? Have you ever had a friend do something like that for you? They come alongside you? Well, this is exactly what the people were doing in Jesus' days. It's in one part a metaphor for why a church exists. See, sometimes churches forget why they're here. They forget that what they're supposed to do in this world is help get people, this is very simple, guys, help get people to Jesus. They forget that. Uh, and maybe they don't forget it, but it gets overcovered by other priorities, things that seem more pressing. Sometimes churches, it seems like, are about some individual's agenda. Sometimes it seems like churches are about a political agenda of one party versus another. Sometimes it seems like maybe churches are about buildings and land or about some program or about rules and structure. And all those things may have their place in an appropriate discussion in the right environment. But at the end of the day, churches are really all about helping people get to Jesus. Uh, people that often don't know how to get there on their own. It's the truth. I didn't know how to get to Jesus on my own. I remember when I was five years old, I was sitting 
in a Sunday school class, that's kind of the way we did it. It's kind of like what we do. I had an adult who was investing her time into our life, and she was talking about the stories of Jesus. And I remember her looking at me, and my name at the time was Benny, which is, you know, Ben, Benny, you get the idea. Kind of like a kid, right? And so she says, Benny, would you like to have Jesus be your friend? Would you like to ask Jesus in your heart? I didn't understand it all, but I certainly didn't understand that. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she began to unpack that for me. Over the next few weeks, she taught me my first Bible verses. We memorized Psalm 150. She talked to me about treating people right and not lying and having integrity. I didn't even know the word at the time, but she began to uncover the ways of God for me. And over the course of the year that I was in her class, it radically changed the trajectory of my life. It changed my path, a path I could not have gotten on on my own. I needed somebody to take me there. Here's my first question as we spend a little bit of time together looking at Mark chapter 8. Is there anybody in your life who might need a hand getting to where they need to go. I mean, do they need a hand getting where they need to go financially? We have people in this room who've invested major hours in other people's lives, helping them get together a budget, work out a plan to get out of debt, and they've helped them. People were stuck for whatever reason, and somebody came alongside them and helped them. We have people in small groups in this room. Many of you are small group leaders. We, we love you around here because you make a major investment, and sometimes you help people connect relationally. I met a lady this week, and she said to me, I just don't have any friends. I'm new in the area. Where do you go to meet friends? I don't want to go hang out at the bar. I don't really like that crowd. So where do you go meet people? I said, you go to church. That's where you go. I I used to teach high school, and the guys would graduate. They'd go to college. We'd email back and forth. They'd say, where do you go to meet good women? You go to church. That's where you go. You go to church. But sometimes people don't see that on their own. They need Who in your life needs an extra hand? They brought the blind man to Jesus. Now, here's what the Bible says. I love about this. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. He led him outside the village. This was the village that was cursed. This was the village where truth and miracles was happening all around and they wouldn't embrace the message. So Jesus says to him, in effect, I'm gonna get you out of this place. I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna separate you a little bit. We're gonna pull you outside of this dynamic and when we're outside this dynamic, you, you and I can chat. I wonder if there's ever been anybody in this room and you've been stuck in a dynamic. You've been stuck in a relationship. You've been stuck in a place. And as long as you were there, it was really difficult to think about moving on. It was really difficult to think about getting beyond and moving to where you need to go. I got to tell you, just practically, this is just Ben talking from life. from a guy who's done it a thousand times. Sometimes you have to separate yourself from where you are to get to where you need to go. It's just the truth. Sometimes you got to change jobs. It's the truth. If you're in an abusive relationship, sometimes you got to break that off. If, if you're in a financial situation that is the result of overspending what you don't have or too much debt, you got to break away from that activity. And sometimes you got to break away to get to where you need to go. And I'm wondering today if there's anybody in the room, a little bit if you saw cars like Tomato, uh, tomato who needs to, to get away from the group just enough to begin to discover a little bit about himself. I I don't think it's accidental that Jesus pulled this guy outside of the group, outside of that cursed environment where the truth wasn't falling on receptive ears. It just wasn't. Jesus led him by the hand. Five five fingers. Let me just take a little little rabbit trail here for a second. I I don't have a a lot of time, so we're going to keep it short today like a a miniskirt a little bit. Short enough to be interesting, but long enough to cover the material. All right? So so here's the deal. The f- there's this thing in the Bible called the five-fold leadership gifting. 
our church is kind of organized around this. And some of you in the room, you know about this. But now the Bible says that Jesus gave the gift of fivefold leadership to the church. He called some people to be apostles, administrators, and some to be um, prophets and pray, like prayer warriors, and some to be evangelist recruiters, and some to be like pastors, encouragers, and some to be teachers. And so there's this fivefold leadership team that God uses to pull people into his agenda. So some of you in this room, you serve in various capacities through your gifting. And what God does in effect is he uses you as his hand to pull people where they need to go so they can receive from him. Listen, don't ever underestimate how important the role you serve in the body of Christ. Sometimes it's a formal role where like your name is on a chart. Sometimes it's an informal role. But God uses us today as his body, as his hands to bring people. It was interesting though, that last one, the teacher one, that's pretty powerful. The folks who study this stuff say that it's in a teaching environment like this that sometimes people are least receptive. Yeah, they only remember like 10% of what they hear. But don't dismiss the important teaching gift. It's very important. But for teaching to work, people have to be teachable. There has to be an open, receptive heart and an open mind willing to receive truth. Jesus separates this blind man from the village and brings him in a place so that he can talk with him uninterrupted, undistracted, uncovered over by all the other stuff that has gone on in this guy's life so he could interact with him. It's interesting to me also that that teaching gift, if you're going to do it this way, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, your little finger is the only one that kind of reaches in your ear to open it up. You know, teaching is important, but without open ears and open hearts, it's tough to do. Let me ask you, friends, is there anybody in the room that needs to do a little boundary making, a little separation so that you can hear, receive, get greater clarity and have your interaction with Jesus impact you more? Have you been trying to engage, but you couldn't quite get over the hurdle? Is there any possibility at all, and I don't know your situation, so only you can answer this, that maybe you're just in the wrong environment too much to hear what God would like for you to hear? And are there are a lot of lies happening around you. Are there? Lying doesn't set you free. No, Jesus said truth sets you free. Are you not around the truth enough? I mean, do you not, in the case of a believer, like if you're following Jesus, are you not engaging God's truth, his word enough? Because if you're not, it's going to be really hard to discern his voice and receive with clarity, with open heart and open mind, what he has to say. So Jesus leads him outside the village in verse 23. And then it says, when he had spit on the man's eyes. Ugh. And this, this has happened several times in the pages of your Bible. Jesus spits on a person. <laughs> Doesn't that sound disgusting? I mean, this man's thinking, woohoo, I'm getting ready to get healed. And the next thing you know, he's kind of wiping you know, it just, it doesn't set well. This used to really, really bother me, but I think that if you'll let me just kind of play with this just a little bit, you know, there's an awful lot of DNA in your spit. Did you know that? When I was getting my life insurance bumped up, my wife said I should do that. I kind of got worried. I thought maybe she was going to off me or something. So we decided to up my life insurance. And so they bring a person to the house. They do the weight, do the blood thing. You know, and then they had me take this little, and they had me scrape inside my mouth to get some of my saliva, some of the cheek material. And that's going to be the DNA test to make sure I don't have like a major disease or something. And so they can decide how much it's going to cost for me to get that increased life insurance. Now, there's DNA in the spit. But here, here's the point, though, for us. The stuff that comes out of Jesus' mouth, it's his DNA. His word is life-bringing. He sends his word out of his mouth to people and they're healed. He sends his word and when it falls on a receptive heart, it changes things. The stuff that comes out of Jesus' mouth, 
has his genes in it. There's a powerful biblical word we use. It's the word regeneration. I don't know if you've been around church long enough to know this word, but it simply means the change that happens spiritually and emotionally and deeply soulishly to a person when they commit their lives to Jesus, regeneration. When we get the, the word genes and regeneration come from the same Greek roots. It, it is as if when God gets involved in your life, he's regening you. He's regenerating you. He's changing you. It's what, if there's anything good in my life at all, it's a direct result of the regening process that Jesus has done in my life. And it's up to me to be readily receptive to every word that comes out of his mouth. The words that I find in the pages of scripture. The words that I find through the trusted friend who's going along the same path with me. Through the words I find in community as I study in small group with other people. It's up to me to be receptive. Jesus' words are there. They are falling often. It's his word and he puts it out there. If it falls on a receptive place, open fertile soil, now that's largely up to you and me. Jesus takes him out. He spits on the man's eyes and he says to him, hey, can you see? And the man says, well, I do see, but I see people that look like trees. The only place in the Bible where it takes two touches. And maybe this is why I resonated so much with Tom Mayer in the Cars movie. Because this guy is an idiot. It doesn't happen once. He's got to see the same thing over and over again. The first 15 minutes just shows you how aloof he is in the film. I don't know if this blind man was aloof. That's not the point I'm getting at. All I know is that if I'm at all like him, it's because it took a lot of touches for Jesus to get to me. In fact, it takes more even now. I have to regularly interact with him to get where I need to go. I have to regularly interact with him. I have to regularly come to him. In fact, it isn't unusual in my life for me to get a clear sense of what God would like me to do about my attitude, about my words, <laughs> about what I need to do, and I'll hear it and understand it make perfect sense to me. Sometimes I'll even commit to follow. And in a day, in an hour, sometimes in a minute, I'll need to be reminded of what I just heard and committed myself to. Yeah, now here, here's the thing about our awesome God. And if you, listen, if you're not into the God thing at all, here's something you should know about his character. God doesn't mind second touches. In fact, he, he revels in them. When God called Abraham in the Old Testament, I love this. I always wondered why, but you see this pattern in the Bible, the God of the second time. He calls out to Abraham, he says, Abraham, Abraham. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like if God's speaking from heaven, one Abraham would have been enough. Abraham, okay. No, it was Abraham, Abraham. Samuel, Samuel. And there's something about God. He goes the extra. He's willing to put in the extra effort to connect with us, to open up the door for us, to get us to commit our lives to him, to correct us. God loves us so much that he gave his life for us. He went the extra mile. In fact, he tells us in his teaching that that's the kind of attitude we should have for the people we interact with, extra mile kind of people. If they slap you on the right, turn the cheek. If they ask for your coat, give them you know, the outer garments as well. If they ask you to go a mile, go two. He's the second interaction kind of God. Some of you have been in this room and you've been exposed to God's stuff and you've said no in the past. And some of you believe that because you've waited so long that really the time has passed. But that's not at all the character of God. God is the God who's willing to call you like he called Abraham. Abraham, Abraham. Ben, Ben, reach out a second time. What, what do you see, blind man? I see people looking like trees. I've always thought it was interesting. Here's the blind man 
And here's Jesus, and Jesus is standing right in front of him. The reason I know that is Jesus spit in his eyes. And I guess he could have stood over here and kind of spit, and because he could do a miracle, he could have done like, the, you know, like a zigzag. But he's standing right in front, and, he, and, and the man says, I see people, and they look like trees. And yet Jesus is the one standing right in front of him. It was just interesting to me that the blind man couldn't see what's right in front of him. Maybe because that's not where he was looking. Maybe his eyes weren't ahead. Maybe they were around and he saw people that looked like trees. But that's all right with Jesus. Listen, he's patient. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a God that sometimes the right stories about him don't get told. He's a God that sometimes we have wrong expectations and we get a little disappointed. But when you really pull back the layers, you find that he's the kind of God that says to the blind man, all right, we'll keep going then. You don't, you're not where you need to be. I'll keep working with you. You're maybe, maybe you're not even looking at me and I'm standing right in front of you. And you can't even see me because you're too busy looking at people and it's got you a little fuzzy about things. I'll keep working with you. And he, the Bible says that he touches the man's eyes again. He put his hands on him and his eyes were open and restored and then he saw everything clearly. Let, let me ask you in our final few moments together. Anybody in the room need a second touch? I mean, let me just talk to the followers of Jesus in this room, like the Christians. You and I know each other, don't we, in this regard? I mean, I know you're not perfect. I know. Sometimes life can get you. And sometimes the din of this world and the lies of our enemy and the frustrations and the challenges of this world, if we're not careful, it begins to speak pretty loud in our life. And the noise raises, the roar gets loud, and we can't even hear what comes out of the mouth of God sometimes. We can't even hear the truth. We forget what he says about us, that we're loved and made in his image. We can have a connection with him, not based on anything we do, but based on his grace. And then when we receive that connection with him, he begins to work in our life, cleaning us, molding us, and shaping us to be more like him. And yet we look in the mirror and we know we're nothing like that. We forget what he says about us, but he'll keep working with us. His spirit will convict us. We'll come with a repentant heart and he'll receive us. He'll never cast us out. I wonder if there's anybody in this room where the noise of the world, the noise of your situation is so loud that it's been a long time since you've heard the voice of God. You've forgotten that he loves you. I mean, practically loves you. I don't mean in some 30,000 foot view, God is love. I mean like loves you right where you are. Listen, if that's you, he's the God of second touches. He really is. He really, really is. But while I was thinking about second touch people, it made me think about first touch people. I mean, is there anybody in the room today? And you would say this, don't raise your hand. But I've never really had a connection with the kind of God that you're talking about. Maybe I had a connection with church. Maybe I had a connection with church people. Boy, that'll make things interesting for you. But I've never really had a connection with Jesus. I've never said, Jesus, I want my life to be wrapped up in yours. I want to receive your grace. I want to give you my sinfulness. I want to give you my life and follow you. The biblical words for that is, I want you to become my savior Cover all my past and make me right with you. And I want you to become my Lord. It's not a word we use a lot today, but it simply means the leader of my life. You're in charge. You're number one and I'm number two. Listen, if, if you haven't had a moment of decision like that in your life at all, you can do that today in just a moment. We're going to pray. And it's very simple. You simply say, God, I want to be yours. I, I want you to take all my past and wash it clean. And I want to begin today following you. You can even be honest. Listen, if, like, if you're a skeptic in the room, you can be totally honest. You can say, I'm not even sure I'm going to do it right. I'm pretty positive I won't be perfect. And I'm pretty sure I got a long way to go. And you might get tired of working with me. But I think if you'll quiet down and listen a little bit, here's what you'll hear him say. It's all right. I already knew that. And yet my call is still there. And I'll walk with you. 
And I'll ask you to keep looking at me, not at people. And sometimes I'll have to pull you out of the village so I can get your attention. And sometimes you may not like what I say to you because you might be expecting me to do one thing and I might spit in your eyes. But don't forget, I'm number one, you're number two. And if I spit in your eyes, it's okay even if you don't like it. It's okay. That's what God does to us sometimes. You know why he does that? Because he loves us. And he gives us what we need, not always what we want. And he pulls us where we need to go, not where we think we should be. It's the kind of God I'm offering to you today. It's the kind of God that has radically changed my life, changed many people in this room. It's why we have a church at all, so that we can elevate Jesus and invite you to receive what he has for you. Now, around here, the way we do that is we take out our Connect card. It's the thing that you found inside your offering envelope they ask you to fill out. Why don't you go ahead and grab that out? And we like to not just think about things. We like to move forward. We like to take action steps together. And there's a powerful verse I found for those of us in this room that are like second-touch people today. We need ongoing interaction with God and his Holy Spirit. Here's a great verse. I love it. It's Philippians chapter 1-6. I'm asking for some of you to help me this week by memorizing this. Help yourself. Here's what it says. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the end of the world, the God who begins a work in you, he'll keep working in you. He'll carry it on. And I think some of you in the room like me could internalize this verse, memorize it. The Bible says meditate on it and begin to get in an understanding of the second time God who reaches and touches and doesn't give up. So if that's you today, if you need to be reminded of that, check that box. We'll send you a little reminder about it later on in the week. Here's next step B. My heart went out this week to folks in this room who I know are struggling, who life has just been happening to them. And the truth is, is you need a second touch from God. I mean, you just feel overwhelmed. And it's been a long time since you've sensed the closeness with him and intimacy that the Bible talks about. Listen, today in our prayer time, why don't you just open your heart and say, God, you saved me. You're cleaning me. But I feel distant. I just invite him right back front and center in your life. He'll move there, friends. The Bible says very clearly that if we'll draw close to him, if we'll extend our, he will draw close to us. Anybody that reaches out in him, the Bible says he will in no wise cast out. Here's next step C. It'd be ludicrous to talk about second steps without talking about first touches, right? So if you're in the room today and you need to connect with God for the first time and invite Jesus into your heart as your Savior and Lord, I'm going to lead in my prayer a little moment about that. And you can use my words, you can use your own that simply says, God, I want to follow you now. I'm going to turn and I'm going to commit my life to your way and I'm going to begin to discover who you are and let you lead. If that's you, check that box. We'll pray about it. We believe if you'll do that, what happens to you is the Bible says it's like you get born again. Or another met metaphor is, is that your eyes get opened or it's like you were lame and couldn't walk and you now can walk or you were dead but you come back to life. And the next step, D, this is the one that I think maybe some of us in the room need to listen to. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that needs to put better boundaries around the people that you let influence you and instead commit to becoming an influence on them in the right direction. Jesus had to take him out of the village, out of the curse in order to interact with them. It might be true for some of us in this room. Hey, let's pray about those things right now, all right? Bow your heads. God, I want to thank you that you haven't given up on me. And God, without going into all the nitty-gritty details, you and I could tell stories, couldn't we? About the time you reached out to me while I was really running the other way. About the time I heard you and committed and I didn't take two steps till I was going in a completely another direction. Oh, but God, the rest of the story is you're good and you love me. And that's not just for me because I'm special. It's for every person in this room. In fact, it's for every person that has ever been made in your image. That means every one of us. 
God, some of us in this room need to be reminded that you who has begun a good work in us will complete it. You're not done with us, Lord. And some of us right now, God, are opening up our hearts to a second touch. We've known your grace, and we need to know it again. We've known your power, and we need to know it again. God, there are some of us in this room who haven't yet committed our lives to you, but right now we're feeling a tug, and our heart is bending towards you. And we're saying, God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I receive your forgiveness for my sin. I confess you as the leader and the Lord of my life. And God, some of us very practically just need to set some hard and fast boundaries around people that are bringing nothing good into our lives. Their lies and confusion and distraction. And we need to focus our eyes on you instead of people. God, whatever step we need to take today, give us the courage to do it. We pray it in your powerful and holy name. Amen. And amen. Would you guys stand and sing with me? Sing, you set our hearts on fire.